Well, I want to welcome you all here again, and welcome to those of you over in the, the venue. I'm grateful for uh, Jeff and Christina leading worship over there, and Rebecca and the team. Uh, before I get into this, let me uh, take us back to the beginning of last week. We uh, transformed this tool that we call our, our sanctuary here into what we call Kids Campus, and um, every day I'd come and stand right in the back there, and we had more kids than we've ever had before. Well over 400 kids were here. And for those of you that might be visiting with us, so we call it Vacation Bible School. It's just a place for young people to come and, and have some fun and fellowship together and hear about Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And we do ours a little bit different than most churches. Ours is from 10 o'clock in the morning until 2, and we feed the, the children lunch and all that kind of stuff. And it was really fantastic. A lot of great things happened. Obviously, most of the children that come are followers of Jesus, like my son. And so Kids Campus is a, a discipleship time. It's a chance for uh, adults to pour into my son to help him be more like Jesus. But for a lot of people, it's a chance for them to hear the gospel. And there were many kids that, that gave their, their life to Christ. One of the things that I love is that um, during kids' campus, a lot of stuff gets broken, a lot of stuff gets messed up, there's lots of stains and all kinds of things that happen, chairs that get blown out, stains in the carpet, uh, Wednesday's water day, and if you ever come down here on a Wednesday, bring a change of clothes, because they don't care who you are, you're, you're going to get wet, someone's going to hit you with a water balloon or something like that, and kids are running around in here with water balloons and... And here's the deal, praise the Lord for this tool that gets used and chairs that get damaged and stains that get in the carpet. Because the alternative is, is that nothing happens in this building. And so the chairs are pristine and the carpet is pristine and nothing gets damaged. But I'll tell you what, it was great. I'm just thankful for all the adults, well over 100 adults, I think 150 adults, that come down here, give up a week of their life to come and love and care for our young people. And it was, uh, it was something else to, 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 to be here. Thank you to all of you that, are, that, that prayed. Um, yeah, amen. Give it up for the Lord and what happened here. Um, now, let me shift gears here. I want you to uh, imagine, if you can, that you're sitting in a restaurant, maybe a coffee shop or whatever, and sitting right across from you is Jesus. There he is. And you asked him, Jesus, overall, what do you think about the, the church in America today? Overall, how do you think the church is doing? I know you got your wackies over here and you got your wackies over here, but, but overall, how do you think the, 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 the church in, in America is doing? Let, let me add this, if I could. My first um, 30 years of being a believer, uh, there was persecution. Uh, I had friends who called me a weirdo or a Jesus freak or, um, you know, you're a Bible-thumping weirdo or whatever. I mean, that, that was the extent of the persecution, you know, whoop de doo uh, Unfortunately, for some people, that just crumples them into a hump of, you know, nothing, just being called a Jesus freak or something. Today, the persecution's way different. 
to be a follower of Jesus Christ is, is way different. You're, you're now a bigot. You're now a hater. If you stand for truth, it, it's way different. There, there is a persecution on us who follow the Lord that's way different, literally almost within the last year, and it is just going to continue to ramp up. The, 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 the church in America, the, those that really follow the, the, the scriptures, it's become way different. But I sat around this week and I thought to myself, man, what would Jesus say to that? What would Jesus uh, say? What would the progress report be to Cross Point Church downtown? What would Jesus say to Calvary Chapel right down the road here? What, what do you think Jesus would say about the house church, Modesto Covenant, Mill Creek? What do you think Jesus would say about Big Valley Grace? God were to give us a progress report on, on how we're doing, what would he say? And I told you last week if you were here, I, I often ask myself that. You know, if Jesus were to, to write me a letter or write the elders of the church a letter or whatever, and what would he say? What would the progress report be? Well, we don't have to wonder because chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation Jesus writes seven different letters to seven different churches. These were churches in the first century throughout Asia Minor. And these letters were basically progress reports. They, they basically told these churches how they were doing. And there were many things that they did that were good and holy and righteous, and Jesus commended them. But Jesus also had some things to say that, that weren't so good things that they were involved in that were wrong or crummy or evil or whatever the right word would be. And the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means that the messages Jesus shared with these first century churches are the same messages that he would share with his 21st century church. So these two chapters are super relevant to us today. Revelations chapter 2 and 3. In fact, I told you last week that I think this first church, the church at Ephesus, is a lot like Big Valley Grace. I think Jesus is, is talking to us through this first letter. And there's lots that we can learn. In fact, last week I got a lot of really great emails from some of you. How you heard from the Lord last week. So let's read the, 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 this first letter, and then I'll do a little review of last week, and then we'll, we'll finish up the, the letter to this first church, okay? If you have a Bible, you can look there. It's, if you don't, there's, you know, it's in your notes. It'll be on the jumbotrons, okay? Write this to the angel of the church at Ephesus, okay? The angel of the church might have been the pastor of the church. It might have been the elder of the church or the elders of the church, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. The seven golden lampstands are, are, are the church, and it's Jesus who walks among the, 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 the church. Jesus says, I know what you do, how you work hard and you never give up. I know you don't put up with false teachings of evil people. I know you've tested those who say they're apostles but really are not, and you found that they are liars. You have patience and have suffered troubles for my name, and you haven't given up. But I have this against you. You have left the love you had in the beginning. 
So remember where you were before you fell. Change your hearts and do what you did at first. If you do not change, I will come to you and I will take away your lampstand from its place. But there is something you do that is right. You hate what the Nicolaitans do as much as I do. Every person who has ears should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who win the victory, I will give the right to eat the fruit from the tree of life, which is in the garden of God. So here we have this first letter, or this first progress report, if you will, to this first church that I've entitled the, 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 the busy church. And Jesus had some good things to, to say about this church, which I talked a lot about last week. But he also said this in verse 4, which I believe is the key verse. He said, but I have this against you. You have left the love that you had in the beginning. One version says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. So obviously there was a time when the people in this church had a deep love for Jesus. They had a deep love for each other, but something went wrong. It wasn't that they didn't love Jesus at all, but somehow other things, good things, God-honoring things, had taken over the most important thing, was, which was simply that they had lost their love, their first love for, for God, for others. And all of us can relate to this, we're honest. All of us, you know, have had those moments in our lives when yeah, we were serving, we played in the orchestra, we sang in the choir, we were an usher, we were a greeter, we went on a Mexico trip, we, we, we taught in a Sunday school class, right? We, we had a home group, and we loved Jesus, but, but something had happened, that, that first love had kind of dissipated, if you will. We, we've all been there. We have our flesh that we have to deal with, our humanity, our Adamic nature, whatever word you want to use, and there are times when maybe it just kind of gets the better of us. It's not that we don't love Jesus. We do. And at least we were manning our post. But I think all of us at some level can relate to these folks at Ephesus. These were our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Any one of us can lose our first love or our love for people, which is why this is an important message. In fact, verse 5 tells us just how serious this message is. Everybody look at verse 5. Jesus says, change your hearts. Change your hearts. Some of your Bibles say, repent and do what you did at first. If you don't change... If you don't get back to that first love for me and for others, I will come to you and I'll take away your lampstand from its place. In other words, I'll, I'll remove you. This is serious business to God. Your love for God is serious to him. Your love for others is, is, is a serious issue. God says, if you don't get your act together, if you don't start loving me and loving others the way you used to, man, I'm going to shut you down. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first, and it's the greatest commandment. 
It's the most important thing. Come and sing songs to him. God wants you to do that. But it's not the most important thing. Come and give an offering. Nothing wrong with that. God wants you to do that, but it's not the important thing. Make sure you know all the names of the, uh, of the books of the Bible. You need to do that. But God says that's not the most important thing. Know all the doctrines. Have them all lined up, man, and get them all squared up. You need to do that. But God says that's not the important thing. The most important thing is that somehow in the midst of all the stuff, the singing, the giving, the serving, the studying, all the stuff, the greatest thing you do with your life is that you love the Lord. You love him. And the second greatest thing, and Jesus says they're equal, is that you love other people the way you love yourself. You love your neighbor as yourself. And for those of you that are visiting, that's not, that's not a narcissistic love where you get in front of a mirror and navel gaze and, ooh, how, how beautiful am I or how great am I? That's, that's just secular goofiness. What that means is, is this. I loved myself so much today that when I got up, I gave myself some food. You all loved yourself to the degree that you met that need in your life. You fed yourself. When it's cold outside, I love myself so much I put a warm jacket on, you see. I meet a need I have in my life, and you do the same thing. And Jesus says, that's great. You need to meet your own needs. You need to feed yourself, Rick. If you're cold, put a jacket on. You need to do that. You need to love yourself. Just don't stop there. Love others the way you love yourself. Make sure other people have food to eat, too. Make sure other people have warm clothes to put on, too. Take care of you, but just make sure you also have a love for others, you see. And this is a church that, that I think does that well. Dr. MacArthur said this. He said, to be a Christian is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Ephesians, but the Ephesians' passion and fervor for Christ had become cold, mechanical orthodoxy. Their doctrinal and moral purity, their undiminished zeal for the truth, and their disciplined service were no substitute for, for the love that we're to have for Jesus. Those are some good thoughts. Here's the point. Loving Jesus and loving God are super important, very important. So last week I gave you two ways that you and I can make sure that Jesus stays number one in our lives, okay? Ways that we can, you know, maybe keep our intimacy with the, 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 the Lord as a priority. And today I'm gonna give you two more. But before I do, let me quickly remind everybody what I shared last week, okay? Especially for those of you that might be vis visiting with us today. Number one, uh, I shared this last week, you, you keep your intimacy with Jesus alive and well when you keep listening to him. Verse one says, write this to the angel or the pastor or the elder of the church at Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, that's Jesus, says this. Beloved, Jesus has something to say to you. 
And if you want to keep your, you know, your, your intimacy with, with, with Jesus alive and well, you got to keep him number one in your life. you got to develop a, an, an ear for his voice. you got to actually set aside time each day to hear his voice, to hear what he has to say. Because if you don't do that, the chances are pretty good you'll lose your first love. And the primary way that Jesus speaks to us today is through his word. It's this. And so we as his people need to make sure that in the midst of our serving, in the midst of our our praying, in the midst of our singing and giving and and Bible studies and, and all of those kinds of things, that somehow we just set aside time that we might hear him, hear his voice. Not just learn a bunch of facts about him. I think sometimes that's what can happen. It's we're just learning a bunch of facts about Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want us just to learn a bunch of facts about him. He wants us to be in love with him. I was thinking about my relationship with my wife. My wife when we were dating, didn't want me just to learn a bunch of facts about her. She's got blonde hair, she's this tall, she's the color of her eyes. Okay, I, I got all the facts. She wanted me to get to know her that I might love her deeply. Nothing wrong with knowing how tall she is, what color her hair is, what color her eyes are, what her favorite books are, what her favorite color is. Nothing wrong with having data. But don't let the data somehow trump just the love. And that often happens in churches. It happened in the church at Ephesus, and it certainly can happen in a church like, like, like ours. There was this moment I shared with you last week when Peter, James, and John went to the uh, top of this mountain with Jesus. And when we got there, God the Father actually spoke to these three guys. And this is what he said. He said, hey, guys, I want you to know this is my dearly loved son, and he brings me great joy. I want you to sing songs to him. No, I didn't say that. I want you to give him an offering. I didn't say that. I want you to serve. No. Those are all good things. But God the Father told these three guys on that mountain, I want you to listen. Listen. When I listen to my wife, I gotta turn off the TV, I gotta turn off the radio, I gotta put down the paper, I gotta put all the things that distract me down and just listen to her. Listen. And if you wanna keep your intimacy with Jesus alive and well, you, you, you just, you gotta keep listening. Keep listening. Number two, you keep your intimacy with Jesus alive and well when you don't hide behind a a busy Christian life. And in verse two, he says, I know what you do, Jesus says. I know how hard you work. I know you never give up. I know you don't put up with, you know, false teachers and evil people. Man, you've tested those who say they're apostles but really aren't. In other words, man, you really got your, 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 your doctrine down pat. Man, you've got patience. You, you've suffered for my name's sake. You haven't given up. Well, but this was an active church. This was a church that was doing lots of good things, lots of holy things, lots of righteous things. 
things that we all ought to be involved in. Yet all this activity didn't keep them from losing their love for Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I've been here at Big Valley Grace for over 30 years. And I knew people who were singing in the choir, singing songs about God. And then one weekend they weren't up there. Come to find out they were having an affair. <laughs> singing songs. <woo-hoo. laughs> Unbelievable. I know people who were dropping money in the offering basket, man, worshiping the Lord through their giving, and at the same time, they, they were just living a sinful life. No people who taught in Sunday school classes, who on the outward appearance, man, they, man, they were busy. They were doing all these great things, but then one weekend, they're not here, and you go, where, where, did you hear about so-and-so? No, what? I just prayed with them last week. I just saw them serving in the children's ministry last week. What happened to them? Obviously, their first love had gone somewhere else, and they had a new love, if you know what I mean. Lee's down here, Rex over here, Bob, uh, the Garys, and, 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 and man, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of has been around a long time. Sam. Isn't it weird how you can look really great from the outward because you're behind this busy Christian life, and in reality, whoa, something has gone haywire. I used to have these two, um, uh, one of my first home I bought, there were these two uh, cherry trees that were kind of cut, you know, and so they were just stumps, they were about this big, they were in my backyard, and man, for a long time, I just wanted to get rid of them, but I, I'm, not a, I'm not a handy guy, and I couldn't imagine getting an ax, you know. Uh, you'd be calling me stubby right now because I wouldn't have a foot. I guarantee if you put an ax in my hand and say, chop out this stump, I'd, I'd hurt myself. And so it was like, oh, man, you know, I got to. So I just left these two stumps there for a long, long time. And one day I went out there, I'm thinking, okay, I got to get rid of these stumps. I got I to do something. And I was thinking, man, do I wrap a chain around it and run it out to my front? And, you know, and just all these thoughts are running through my mind. And, and I'm standing there and I went, boom. And this cherry tree went, <laughs> and it was like, whoa, that was unbelievable. And I, so I went to the next one, <laughs> nothing. The one was all hollowed out. It it was rotted. Now, it didn't look that way from the outside. It looked just like the other one that's roots went way down. And for literally, I don't even know how many years, they both looked exactly alike, but one was actually rotted from the inside. The outside looked good. And that can often happen to us as believers. It's one of the things that we as a family of believers need to be careful of with one another. Just because you see somebody singing or playing or ushering or handing out communion stuff or serving in the children's ministry or discipling discipling teenagers or leading a home group, don't make the assumption that they haven't lost their first love. We've got to care about each other. It's easy to get together and talk about all the stuff we learned about Jesus or all the things we're doing about Jesus, but just to get together and talk about how much you love Jesus, how often does that happen? Probably not very, or at least less than it, than, 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 than it ought, to, ought to happen. 
So, all right, so that, 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 that's kind of a review of last week. Okay, here we go. We're going to finish up this first letter to this first church. Number three, you keep your intimacy with Jesus alive and well when you remember that your first love really is Jesus. Verse four and five, Jesus says, but I've got this against you. You've left the love that you had in the beginning, your first love. So remember, Jesus says. Remember. Remember where you were before you fell. Remember how it used to be before you got so busy doing all these great things that you forgot about your first love. Just, just remember. Think back and remember those times when you and Jesus were tight. Think back and remember those times when all you thought about was, was Jesus. Remember those times when you could hardly wait for church to start. Remember those times when you came to church and you, all you wanted to do was sing. Remember those times that, you know, you, you took notes at your Bible studies and, and at church. Remember those times when you loved hanging out with God's people. Remember those times when you would talk with Jesus about all the things that were going on in your life? And let me tell you, I did this just that this past week. Sat back in my office and remembered back when I gave my life to Christ. It was here at Big Valley Grace. We were in a different location. And I didn't know anything. I didn't grow up in the church. I was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I was just a really crummy person. I wouldn't have used the word sin because that's a Bible word and I didn't know really anything about the Bible, but I knew I was evil. I knew I had said a lot of evil, wicked things to people. I knew I had done a lot of evil, wicked things to people. I knew I had a lot of evil, wicked things that would run through my mind at times. I knew I was messed up. I knew I was messed up. And when the Father revealed to me the beauty of who Jesus Christ was, and that he came and died for me to cleanse me of all my sin. Man, let me tell you something. I, I didn't know anything about Jesus, but I loved talking to everybody about Jesus, what I didn't know. I loved coming to church. I loved getting together with God's people. I, I just, I, I loved it. My, my whole life revolved around this new thing, this new relationship that I had with Jesus and God's people. It was an unbelievable thing. And I didn't know a thing. I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew nothing about doctrine. I knew nothing about anything. All I knew was Jesus cleansed me of my sin. I knew I was going to go to heaven because of what Jesus Christ had done in my life. I didn't know a thing. Man, if the pastor said, hey, turn to the song of Solomon, man, I was grabbing for a hymnal. I just figured it was a song. I remember one time I'm looking through my Bible and I see all the books of the Bible's names and there was jobs. And I thought, man, this God's unbelievable. He cares about jobs. I, I didn't know a thing, nothing. But I love Jesus. Loved him. And it's easy then to then start learning lots of things about Jesus, which we ought to do. It's easy then to begin to, to serve and do all these good things, which we ought to do. It's easy to let all those things somehow crowd out this raw love, this first love that we have. And obviously, we can all relate to that when we think about our spouses, right? 
those first dates, just the raw passion. It's just, man, and whoa, did you get married? And then, you know, you, you just kind of settle in. Yeah, I love, I, love, I love my spouse. Something changes, I'll let them know. You know? <laughs> and you just kind of get in this little groove, and it's not that you don't love them. You do love them. But something kind of just, you just can't get out of this groove. And what Jesus is saying here, listen, part of the solution is just remember. Take some time and remember. All throughout the Bible, God commands us to remember, especially in the Old Testament. I wish I had time to go through all these great passages where God says, remember, remember this, remember that, remember this, remember that. And the reason why God tells us over and over again to remember is because he knows we can forget. We can easily forget things. And one of the things that God doesn't want us to forget is how important our love for him is. And how that translates into how we love and care for, for those uh, around us. The writer of Hebrews says this, so we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard or we may drift away from it. And as a reminder, Jesus said, the greatest truth is that we love God. The greatest truth is that we Love one another. Now, there's all kinds of truth that we have to be careful we, we don't drift from. But don't forget what the greatest truth is. But what often happens is that we do begin to drift from this. We, we lose perspective. The church at Ephesus had drifted from this truth. As Dr. MacArthur said, their, their passion and fervor for Christ had become cold, mechanical orthodoxy. That's what it had become which might describe some of you here today. It's not that you don't love Jesus. It's just that your love for him has gone somewhat cold. And one of the ways you recapture your first love is by simply remembering. Now, um, let, let, let me tell you one of the, 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 the great ways that will help you remember your love for God. When you verbally declare to him and to those around you that Jesus is your greatest love, When you verbally talk to God and, and you don't share with him all of your prayer requests, all the stuff you need him to do for you, but you just simply tell him how much you love him and you just verbally tell somebody else, I just want you to know how much I love Jesus. Not, I want to tell you all the doctrinal things about him or let me give you six things about Jesus Christ that you ought to know but you just simply talk with others about your love for Jesus. Because when you talk to God about your love for Jesus or you share with somebody else how much you love Jesus, you can't help but remember how much you love Jesus. Nothing wrong with talking about how much you love serving Jesus, you love singing in the choir, or you love playing the, 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 the piano, or you love playing the trombone, or you, you, you love your small group, or ushering, greeting, nothing wrong with that. I think there's a place for that. But don't forget just to simply tell other people how much you love Jesus. I just love Jesus. I just love him. Now let me kind of share something here with you. Um, I want to lay out, if I could, this, this love thing for you. Just real quickly. 
the, the Bible says that, that, that God created you. Just, just kind of follow this reasoning, if you will, for a moment. Psalms 139 says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together when I was in my mother's womb. You can't miss the idea that God is the one who put us all together inside our mom's wombs. Whether you know your mother or not, whether your mother gave you up for an adoption or not, whether your mother cared about you or not, it doesn't matter. God was at work inside some woman's womb. And he put you together. He created you. God's crazy about you. The Bible says, for the Lord takes delight in his people. <laughs> Is that just crazy? Listen to what Zephaniah said. Zephaniah said, the Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. <laughs> this is so crazy. God cares deeply about you. Peter said, look, cast all your anxiety onto him. Pray. Take all the stuff of your life. Go to him. Why? Because he cares about you. God protects you, he strengthens you, he guides you, he heals you, he provides for you, he gives his peace to you, he's building a special home for you in heaven, he forgives you, he cleanses you, he gave you his Holy Spirit, he made you alive when you were dead, he made you holy and righteous, he made you an heir to everything he has. Why? Why does God do all these things for you? Beloved, God does all these things and more because he loves you. He just loves you. God said this to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. And what does God want in return for all of these things that he's done for you? And I just basically scratched the surface. God wants you to love him back. Once again, Jesus said, the greatest thing that you can do with your life is to love the Lord your God all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. God does all these things for you. And then he says, look it, here's the greatest thing now you can do. Is you love me. You love me with everything you've got. Why? Why does Jesus want you to love him back? Because when you love God back, it brings him pleasure. When you love God back, it makes him happy. Listen to what Psalms 147 says again. The Lord delights in those that fear him. And that's an Old Testament way of saying the Lord delights in those that, that love the Lord, that have given their life to Jesus, you see, that have prayed to receive Christ into their life. One version says the Lord is pleased only with those who worship him and they trust in his love Beloved, when you boil it all down, worship at its core is loving God back with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all your strength. And this is your number one priority in life. God said this through the prophet Hosea. He said, I want your constant love, not animal sacrifices. I would rather my people know me than burn offerings to me. One version says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. God says, I, I want your love. I want you to know me. And Christian, I want you to know, if you do this, if you love God, you've accomplished the most important thing in life. Everything else you do will pale in comparison. You can knock a hundred things off of your to-do list. You could 
Find a cure for cancer, as one guy said. You could solve world hunger, but if at the end of the day, you don't love God a little bit more and you don't know him a little bit more, it was a wasted day. Whoop-de-doo, you found a cure for cancer. So you figured out how to solve world hunger. Those are good things. Hope someone does them someday. But the greatest thing, what God wants, is that you love him. You love him. That you know him. Listen, God didn't create you to check things off your to-do list. He didn't create you so that you'd find a cure for cancer, or that you'd find a cure for world hunger. He created you that you would love him, that you would worship him. That's what he wants. So let me ask you, when was the last time you expressed your, your, your love to God? When was the last time you said, I love you, God, and you said it out loud? You just said it out loud. You see, God loved you out loud, didn't he? When he hung on that cross in front of everybody, he was saying to you and to me and to the world, I love you! But God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He said, I love you out loud. And the question I was kind of wrestling around with was, when was the last time I out loud just told God how much I loved him. And how do you do that? How, how can you love God out loud? Well, there's lots of ways, but let me express one way. And one simple way to say, God, I love you out loud is to thank him. It's to thank him out loud for all that he's done. God, thank you for the friends that I have. I've got some great friends sitting in this room right here. And I'm thankful. And I spent some time this week out loud saying, God, thank you for my friends. Thanking God for the church that, that cares about me. Thanking God for creating all the different kinds of flowers. Uh, thanking God that you live in America. That we can come here at least today and, and worship in, in freedom. Thanking God for putting a roof over your head. Thanking God for supplying the food that you have. I wonder how many of you sit down for breakfast, you sit down for lunch, you sit down for dinner, and you don't even say thank you, God. Like somehow, you know, all the dough you have is yours so you could buy the food to either, you know, barbecue at home or buy in a restaurant. It's all God's. He's the one who gave it to you. And just to say, God, thank you for this food. It's one of the ways you're saying out loud, I love you, God. I love you. Thanking God for the clothes that you have. Thanking God for the spouse that God's given you, the kids you have, the grandkids you have, whatever it might be. Everything you have is a gift from God. And one of the ways you can express your love to him out loud is by simply saying thank you. Saying thank you. We sang that song, give thanks with a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy One. And hopefully it becomes more than just a song. Hopefully it stays within you and you go, you know what, I had to spend some time loving God out loud this week. Just by saying thank you. Uh, number four. You keep your intimacy with Jesus alive and well when you take action, take some action 
to keep Jesus number one in your life. Jesus says, I, I want you to remember where you were before you fell. And then he says this. He says, change your hearts. Repent. Turn. And do what you did at first. And you under, underline that word change in your notes or in your Bible or whatever. The only way you and I can change something like your heart is you've got to take some action. Because if you don't take any action, nothing's going to change. So what are some actions that you can take to keep your love for Jesus fresh? Well, let me give you a couple. Number one, action step number one is you gotta repent of any sin in your life. Change your heart, Jesus said. Repent from whatever it is that caused you to lose your first love for Jesus. Eight times in the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, Jesus calls for his church to repent, and I think that God is calling some of you in his church here to repent. There are some things that have gotten in your life that have become more important, and like the church at Ephesus, they may be good things. They may be holy things, righteous things. But those things have somehow crowded out that first love that you've had for Jesus. But there's all kinds of sin out there. There's the sin of pride, the, the sin of materialism. Let me tell you, materialism. Man, you go to work and you 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 work so you can just buy more and more stuff. And you're busy buying more and more stuff and that'll crowd out your love for God. Obviously, it's your love for stuff. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. There's the, the, the sin of, of uh, you know, sexual sins, uh, adultery, the sin of lying. There's the sin of, of, of busyness, right? There's all kinds of sin out there. We call these sins of commission, but there's another kind of sin that James talks about. In James chapter 4, it says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and he doesn't do it, sins. These are sins of omission. In other words, you can do nothing and still sin. I mean, if God calls you to do something and you don't do it, it's sin. Christianity is way more than just simply avoiding evil. And that's what some people have boiled the faith down to. I'll just avoid evil. That's evil. Woo, that's evil. Stay away from that. Don't do this. I don't do that. If Christianity was simply about not doing certain things, then dead people would make the best Christians because they don't do anything. There are some things that God actually calls us to do. And when you don't do them, uh, that's sin. God has called some of you to join this church. Uh, God has called some of you to share your faith with your friends. Uh, God has called some of you to start giving. Uh, I'll, you know, God has called you to join the band. God calls you to do something, and you don't do it. It's sinful. So you got sins of commission and sins of omission, but regardless of the type of sin, they need to be repented of, because if you don't repent of them, your love for Jesus is just it's going to fade. Acts chapter 3 says this, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Listen, when you change, when you repent, let me tell you what happens. 
You're heading down a road. You're doing whatever it is you're doing. It's just sinful, and, and it's causing you to mess with your first love. When you turn, you know what you're turning to? You're turning and you're looking in the face of Jesus. That's what you're turning to. You don't turn from that and there's Jesus, you know, with a, you know, with a whip. Yeah, turn, come on. Who'd, who'd want to turn to that? When you repent of your sin, you're, you're going down some path and you turn and now you're facing Jesus again. The one who hung on a cross for you. The one who loves you deeply. He created you, cares about you, is crazy about you, protects you, heals you, all those things. Remember all those things? Made you an heir to everything he's got. It's a beautiful thing to turn, repent, and just look back into the face of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. And action step number two is you just repeat the things that you used to do. Jesus said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to change. I want you to repent. And then just do what you did at first. After you spend some time remembering how it was when you first gave your life over to Jesus, then you spend some time repenting from the sins that caused you to drift away from your first love for Jesus. The next thing you do is simply just do the things you used to do. It sounds a lot like what's on the back of a bottle of shampoo. You know, scrub, clean, rinse, repeat. Did I get that right, ladies? I goofed that up, didn't I? I think I just messed that up. You know, one of the things I love about the Lord is that it's a pretty easy thing, isn't it? We're not building the space shuttle here. If you got a half a cell working, it's pretty simple how to, Jesus makes this really simple how, how you can get back. He says, hey, remember. And when you remember, you know what you got to do? Oh, man, I got to repent. I got to change. And then Jesus said, now, just do those things. Remember how it used to be. Do that. Now, what I want to do is let's, let's say these four things out loud together in here and over in the venue, okay? Just stay in your seats and out loud, let's say these four things together. Number one. I keep my intimacy with Jesus when I keep listening to him. Number two, I keep my intimacy with Jesus when I don't hide behind a busy Christian life. Number three, I keep my intimacy with Jesus when I remember that my first love is Jesus. And number four, I keep my intimacy with Jesus when I take action to keep Jesus number one in my life. Now, I want you to look back at verse five again. Jesus says, if you don't change, if you don't repent, and you keep doing all these good and holy and righteous things, But, but you don't change and, and get back to just your first love for me. He says, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to take away your lampstand from its place. This is pretty serious to God. Your love for him and your love for others is a serious issue with God. 
It's more serious than I think we, the church, really understand. This church at Ephesus, if you don't get to verse 4, was a church that we'd all probably lift up and say, wow! We all need to be like these folks. And we do. But loving the Lord with that first passion, and loving others, caring about others, whoa. And obviously Jesus writes this letter to a church family. But I think that there are also individual components to it. That, that you as an individual need to look at your own life and say, have, have I? And if you have, my strong admonition to you is change. Repent. Do the things you used to do. Because verse 5 it's true. He, he, he'll deal with it. You either deal with it, we deal with it as a church, or he'll deal with it. And it's just always better that we deal with it. Why don't you stand over in the, the, the venue? Why don't, you, why don't you stand? And I'd like for you just to close your eyes for a second. Over in the venue, close your eyes. Everybody in here, close your eyes. And in just a moment, Pastor Scott's going to pray here, and Pastor Scott Stubbert's going to pray over in the venue. But while your eyes are closed, let me, let me just tell you something. Um, as we have taken the last two weeks, or maybe you've just been here today, do you recognize maybe the fact that you've lost your first love? And a lot of good things have kind of crowded out the first love. It, it, our eyes are closed and all that, but, but if that's you, would you raise your hand? Just to say, hey, Pastor Rick, I recognize that in my life. Yeah, I see you up there. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, all over. I'm sure there's some over in the venue. A whole bunch of people last night raised their hand too. thankful for all of you. I love you all deeply. This is a great church. This is a great church. But Jesus has written us a letter. And may we all take it to heart. And those of you that have, you're sensing maybe your first love is kind of waning. Hey, spend some time remembering. Repent. And maybe just get back to doing some of those things. And if you're here and you'd like for the spiritual leaders of the church to pray with you, the altar room is available over in the venue. We have an altar room. We'd love to pray with you. We've all been there. Maybe you're here and you want prayer for your marriage, your teenagers, your grandkids, your parents, your health. The altar room is, is available. Take advantage of it. Pastor Scott, would you close our time now?